morning, I just want to take some time to go back and do some basic instruction about what communion is. It's easy for us. I've, I've always been surprised how easy it is for new believers to find their rut, and that's when we just begin to take things for granted and go through the motions. Years ago, I was discipling some young guys uh, somewhere in their master's program, somewhere in college here. And I was surprised after a very, to me it was a very short time, they were already traditional Christians and they want to be challenged in what they they thought. And I'm like, wow, I missed something along the way because we always want to be learners. That's what a disciple is. Methetes is the Greek word, it just means learner. Not experts, learners. And so uh, I want to go back and just do some instruction from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is probably the first time that instruction was given because 1 Corinthians was written before, we believe, before some of the Gospels were. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to the end of the chapter, verse 34. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this special time, the Lord's table that we can gather around and have a specific time of worship and remember your death, your burial, and your resurrection. To have a time to look, allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts, that we can be convicted about sin. Lord, we know we need to be doing that every day, but sometimes... Things slip under the radar, and, and we have blind sides. So, Lord, I point those things out today. And then, Lord, remind us again of your great love, that we would each day learn to love more and more like you love. And, Lord, I pray for those who are here today outside of your family, maybe having religion, maybe knowing some things about you, but not knowing you. Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. The day would be the day that you let them into your life, that they partake of your salvation and become part of the family of God. And we'll give you all the glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We say on a weekly basis, I mean, I do anyway, many times in my prayer, just talking to you, that I anticipate this time with you every week. I do. My whole week is focused on my small groups and on this, on Sunday. Because it's a special thing to come together with God's people, with one heart, with one voice, lift up the name of Jesus together. It's a very special time. But especially when we're going to gather around the table. Do you anticipate that time? Or maybe, I remember one of my sons, I'm going to tell you which one. They're all guilty of something. But he, he said he, he was having a little struggle, and he walked in. He said, oh, no, it's communion, which meant to me that he was saying, okay, we got to get serious about this thing. That's the way we ought to react. If you're forgotten, because sometimes the, the months can slip away, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, it's the first of the month, communion. We ought to keep short accounts with God every day, right? But especially we see it's communion. It's a very serious time. Do you anticipate it? The enjoyment of this special meal 
your enjoyment of this time together is largely determined by your communion with the Lord all week long. If your main fellowship with God is just when you come together at church, then it's just going to be another service. Although it's time, if, if you realize that, to repent of that and say, Lord, create in me a, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. What is daily fellowship? It's praying without ceasing. It's practicing the presence of God. Dr. Bookman has taught us about a group of Pharisees called the Black and Blue Pharisees that they uh, put a veil over their eyes. They're always bumping into things because they don't want to see anything bad and cause themselves to sin. And so thus the name Black and Blue Pharisees because they're always running into things. Well, we don't want you thinking you have to close your eyes to pray, especially if you're driving. But if you're practicing the presence of the Lord, you're always walking in fellowship with him. And God brings somebody to your mind. Maybe he brings a sick friend to your mind or a lost loved one, and immediately you pray for them. Maybe there's a heartache you're dealing with, and so you talk to the Lord about that. An attitude of prayer. Well, in verses 23 through 27, just a a simple outline, we see the purpose of communion. And in verses 28 through 34, actually it's 23 through 26, and 27 through 34, we see the importance of being prepared or preparation for communion. Different churches believe different things about what communion is. We as Bible believers simply come to the Word of God and we simply see here's what it says. Jesus said, every time you take the bread, remember me. He didn't say you're getting salvation. Every time you drink the cup, remember me. Now, the Jewish mind was not just, oh, yeah, I remember. When there was a time of remembrance or memorial, it was to go back and as much as possible remember everything about that that event that took place. To really think for, for Passover time, for the Jewish people to think about their ancestors being in slavery for all that time. And what their heart must have felt like to be delivered from slavery and for communion. For us to crawl up on this high rock, this, this, this high time. In the Old Testament, the psalmist is always talking about in times of trouble, he ran to his high tower. It was his fellowship with God. He ran to the rock. When you get out and you're hunting or you're walking in the woods and you lose your way in Wyoming, you can get up to a high place, look around, get your bearings back. That's what these times are for. God gave us two ordinances. Now, different churches call them different things. Some call them sacraments, which means means of grace. We don't believe that you can do something to get a means of grace. Grace is free. It's, It's something the Lord just gives to us. But these are ordinances Things that he's laid down, I want every believer to be partaker in. First is baptism. The first step of obedience for a believer is to be baptized and share their testimony of how they used to belong to Satan's crowd. They used to be in the the family of Satan, and then God set them free, and now they belong to the Lord. And then to be baptized in obedience to his command. And next is communion, the Lord's table. Because it's a time of remembrance, a time where we can think about the death of Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. No sin, 
perfect so he could take our place, but how unjust that the wrath of God was poured out on him instead of us, instead of on the world. He took our place on purpose that we might be redeemed from the slave market of sin. And so we remember how much it costs, and then it puts our sin in a different light. It's good to go back and remember what life used to be like before you came to Christ, how you were lost without hope. And Jesus simply took you in. Verse 23, Paul said, I received from the Lord. Now, John MacArthur calls this a diamond in the mud. In the middle of all this mess that Paul is dealing with, with the saints at Corinth, the saints. These were believers, and what a mess they had. But their mess was for our gain because we have the instruction of Paul on how to deal with all these things. They had immorality going on. They were acting like pagans, some of them. In their businesses, they would have a conflict, and they would haul each other off to court rather than dealing with it as a church. Or, as Paul said, wouldn't it be better Just suffer the loss and let God bring it back. But no, they're hauling each other into court. And he gives this instruction. had women being rebellious and men being rebellious and not serving in their roles as husbands and wives, as men and women. They were being just like the world. In the middle of all that, Paul says, we need to remember. You need to remember who you are and who you belong to and what it costs. Now, this is probably the first time Instruction has been given about communion because Corinthians Corinthians were written before the Gospels were written. And here they are having this, this instruction in the middle of having all this tension going on in church. The worst was that they'd been so divided up because the people that were more better off in the church, they decided when they had this love feast, this was just part of a feast they would have. And uh, during this time that They just, hey, why don't you bring some brisket and I'll bring the salad and we'll just eat together over here. And so poor people coming in and they weren't allowed to eat with them. So here's the family all divided up. You can imagine the poor people went home bitter. But so so did the rich people. Some were coming at the feast of the Lord and not sharing and going home having stuffed themselves and even drunk. In the middle of all that, Paul says, you're doing something, but we can't call it the Lord's table. And so he gives this instruction, this is the Lord's table. The night in which Jesus was betrayed. Now, what else was going on? Not only was Judas, did he have his agenda to to betray the Lord, but the disciples were arguing over who was going to be the greatest. They were totally dismissing his instruction that he was going to die. They thought he's about to take over. We want to be first in the kingdom. And so they're elbowing each other out of the way. What a place to remind us that all that we have, all that we are is because of Jesus and not because of ourself. In the night he was betrayed, the Lord took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this to remember me. Now, different Traditions practice different things about communion. Some, some teach transubstantiation, which means that the priest takes the bread and the wine and he does a, 
a service and he actually brings Jesus down. He doesn't really, but this is what their, their tradition says in the mass, that he sacrifices Jesus again and he actually turns, that's what the word trans, substantiation, he turns the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Jesus. Actual. And so you get salvation. Now, I guess you just get a little bit because you got to keep coming back. A little bit like a twist on the Old Testament where they had to keep doing sacrifices over and over again. Yet the Bible says that Jesus came down and he died, what? Once for all. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. There's nothing left to do for salvation. Now, Martin Luther came along and he didn't want to be just like the Catholics that he was removed from. And so studying the word of God, he believed in salvation by faith. But when it came to communion, you want to make sure. So he came up with what's called consubstantiation. John MacArthur says he doesn't even understand what that means. That somehow the elements don't turn into the body and blood of Christ, but he's kind of around it. And so you kind of get it kind of spiritually. I don't know. When I was a chaplain out at Cathedral Home for Children many years ago, I, I got some instruction from the uh, Episcopal bishop about things that I could do to make communion and, and my services out there more special. He said, now at Easter, you know, what we like to do is maybe take a big piece of metal in the back, just kind of rattle that so it sounds like fun, thunder. And then everybody says together, he has risen, he has risen. And I probably looked at him like that. Because they're always trying to figure out ways to make things, you know, kind of entertaining, keep people coming back. Oh, so special today. One time he gave me some instruction about how they have this little deal where since the gospel's a mystery, then you have a little box and you hide it and you bring it out and you hide it. No, no. The gospel's a mystery that's been revealed. In the Old Testament it was concealed, it was a mystery, but now it's been revealed. We don't have to hide it. But they play all these little games. Why? And then they, then they put down what you as evangelicals believe that, well, you guys just remember. But, but for the Jewish mind, and as Paul is giving this, it isn't just like, oh, yeah, that's right. It was to go back and go through the process of remembering as much as we can from Scripture and in prayer, once again, to count the cost of everything that Jesus did in providing this for us. To come and look around and, and recognize in this family of God because we are the body of Christ together. That the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's nobody that has one up on somebody else. The ground is level. We're all sinners saved by grace. And so he says every time you take the bread you get salvation. No, that's not what it says. Remember me, you already have salvation. In John 6, Jesus had fed the 5,000 one day, and the next day all the people found out where he's at, and they showed up again, and he said, it's so sad. You missed the miracle. All you want is the free bread. And they said, well, Moses gave our fathers in the wilderness the bread of heaven. He said, no, I'm the bread of heaven. And they said, well, evermore give us his bread. So what did Jesus do? He began to teach about his substitutionary death. He gave them doctrine. Jesus was always doing that. The crowd would come. He'd teach. They'd melt away. He would teach in parables. They wouldn't understand. They'd melt away. Everybody left. He looked at his disciples and he said, are you going to go away too? Because they said, he, he, he taught if you don't drink of my blood and eat of my flesh, you can't be part of me. And they went, what? What? 
And even today in some cultures, Christians are accused of being cannibals. But Jesus explained to the disciples, the word that I speak to you, they're, they're spiritual and they're life. You eat physical bread. They ate the physical bread that God gave them in the wilderness. They still died. Physical bread gives us life for a while, doesn't it? We eat food, we get energy, we get nutrition, and we can live. But if we eat and partake of the life of Christ, we get eternal life forever. That's what Jesus was teaching. When you receive Christ as your Savior, if you're born again today, that's a word that Jesus used. You must be born again. You must have new life. You became a partaker of the life of Christ, and you got all the spiritually genetic code of Jesus Christ. You got all the Holy Spirit. You got all you're ever going to get. Now, the process of sanctification is Him getting more of you. Do you know Him? Have you partaken of His life? So we come to the table. We're remembering that's what we've done, and that's what He did for us. He provided redemption through the sacrifice of His cross. And one of the most precious verses in Scripture the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Revelation 1.5, took us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. What a picture. What a savior. So when he says, every time you eat the bread or you drink the cup, remember me, that's a focus. That's a reminder of who we are. It isn't just, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Oh, there are, there are people that go through that thing. They begin to come and just take the Lord for granted. They don't acknowledge God in all their ways. They don't walk with him. So to come to a communion service, oh, that's just we're having communion today. No big deal. But for you that know him, you see the elements of communion here and you go, oh, time to get serious. Why? Because Paul said this is serious. People that don't take it serious and they're in a live church, he said some are dead. Some are sick because they take the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. That's his warning. Verse 27, therefore, eat who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 29 and following, he said, how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and regarded as common the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In particular in this passage, what he's talking about is people that just take their salvation for granted and their children don't buy it at all. They may be truly saved, but they just treat the blood of Christ and their life in Christ as a common thing. Not just communion, but their whole life. They can do what they want. They just call God when they need something. Now, are they really saved? I don't know. The Lord knows. But those that coming behind stumble over their attitude and count the blood of Christ as a common thing. People that die and go to hell will pay for their sins there, but the reason they go to hell is not the particular sins, but for the one sin of rejecting the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why they're there. God can cleanse from any sin. There's no sin that will send a person to hell except the sin of rejecting him 
as Savior, as counting the blood of the covenant as a common thing. Not a big deal. I can live without it. One day you'll give an account for that. But Paul is saying this isn't just something we go through. No one is worthy of communion. So you say, well, I, I don't know if I'm worthy of communion. No, let me just answer that for you. You're not worthy of communion. I'm not worthy of communion. But he's talking about taking it in a worthy manner. So we come carefully to this time, allowing the Holy Spirit to examine our lives and praying like the psalmist did, Lord, search me, try me, see if there be any wicked way. Because we have blind sides, don't we? You don't think so? Ask your spouse. They will tell you. Oh, yeah, you got this, right? Well, the Holy Spirit knows also. Maybe you weren't thinking about it, but especially on Sundays. The devil likes to get in your relationship and you say something harsh to your spouse, right? Hmm? That ever happened on the way to church? No. Not to me. And you're sitting there and you're praying, you're allowing, and the Holy Spirit brings that, and what do you do? Oh, I guess I won't take communion. No, the Bible says if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You confess it there. You say, but my sin was against my spouse, maybe. Or God reminds you that you were bitter to somebody else during the week or you said something or did something. Remember when David sinned with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed on purpose? When he repents of his sin there in Psalm 51, what does he say? Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in my sight. So you can confess your sin. What is confess? Agree with God. God, that was sin. That attitude, that action, that thought. God brings it to your mind. You just confess it. Keep short accounts. This isn't the only time to confess sin, but this is the time, especially. You just don't walk in and take communion and say, well, I can live with that because you may not be able to live with that. God will determine that. And so you say, God, search me and try me, and he brings something to your mind. You just confess it. Years ago, there was a young man, very faithful young man. He was one of our elders, and I noticed he didn't take communion. And he'd grown up in a traditional church and liturgical church, and so I went to ask him. I said, hey, man, what's going on? Because that's what we do. Some of your small groups having trouble. You go, hey, man, what's going on? What are you struggling with, brother? What are you struggling with, sister? I mean, I'm here. We're, let's talk about it. You see, we're called to transparency because our righteousness is not about us. We're not called to an anonymous life where we just kind of live behind our pharisaical robes and broaden our, our borders and just act like nothing's wrong. When there is things that get in our life. And so that's why we major on small groups. That's where ministry happens, life on life. And so I went to him and said, what's going on? Well, yeah, I got some sin in my life. I said, so 1 John 1, 9, <laughs> it's not that easy. I said, whoa, whoa, hold the phone. When you got saved, when you received Christ as your Savior, how much of that did you earn? Oh, well, nothing. So then forgiveness of sin is the same thing before salvation as after, right? Well, yeah, but it can't be that easy. Well, you think God's into guilt? Maybe if you just feel guilty for a while, then eventually he can forgive you? That's sin. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you believed the word that if you confessed him as Savior, he would forgive you. He'll nothing against you. One of the psalms for today. How blessed is the man who the Lord does not hold his sin against him. The same is true. We need the gospel every day, not just the salvation, every day. 
to confess our sin and say, God, that was sin. Agree with God. And the Bible says he grants repentance. That's what he does. We confess our sin, he grants us a repentance, and he's the one that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You don't clean yourself up. He does. And my buddy said, who? You see, you walk, you walk by, sight, by faith and not by sight, even as a believer, not just when you come to Christ. At the same time, I appreciate when somebody takes it so serious, say, I got some things to deal with. Now, I think you're living in sin. If you don't confess your sin, you think, well, I'll get away with this. God says he disciplines. Some get sick, some die when they take the, the cup and the bread of the Lord in an unworthy manner. So what I'll do is I got a, I got a good one on this one. I just won't take it. Then I don't have to get rid of my sin. Oh, no, no. God is not hindered in dealing in your life. The Bible says he scourges every son he receives. And you know what? That discipline for the moment is not pleasant. But when he's finished, it brings forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. See, God's not held back from disciplining you because you don't take communion. He will discipline you anyway. Paul's just pointing out how serious this time is. But a man must examine himself, and so doing, he's to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. How do you examine yourself? Well, what it's describing is close communion. Many churches practice closed communion. You have to be part of their denomination, yea, even their church. You can't take communion. They'll tell you that in the beginning. This is only for, and they'll say whatever they are, Lutheran, Catholic, Episcopal. This is just for our people. No, we don't practice that. Why? Because of this verse. We practice close communion. That means each one examines himself. You know, in the old Puritan church, they decide, no, no, you don't get it today. No. Close communion. Let each man examine himself. Paul says it's so serious because you might be good good, good, putting a good front up for the elders and deacons, but hey, God sees right into your heart. So let each one examine himself. In so doing, then eat of the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, uh, he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many of you are weak and sick, and some have died. Some are sleeping. Because the Lord loves his children. And if they're going to be too much of a stumbling block to themselves or somebody else, he just says, you know what, I'm going to take them home. The Bible says in 106, Psalm 116, 15, how precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his godly ones. So even a sinning saint, when he takes them home, he's glad to have him home. But how sad that God has to take that person home because they just didn't take or they took for granted their life and just continued in their sin. But when we are judged, we're disciplined by the Lord. This is not condemnation. He uses that word again, so we're not condemned along with the world. This is God's discipline in our life. He says, but but you can be one step ahead of the game. As you walk with the Lord, God convicts you. Confess your sin. Verse 33, so then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. This is a special time of worship. I know I came in weak this morning. Say, oh, you're the pastor. Yeah. 
I don't know why, but it's been some week for me. And I was anticipating this time because I knew I needed the fellowship and the worship with the Lord and with you. Oh, I needed it this morning. Every morning before we start on Sundays, there's a group of men that gather and pray with me. I need that time with my brothers. I need those two small groups that I'm in. I need those times. And I need this time with the Lord around the table. This is a time of corporate worship. It's also a time of you remembering that Jesus died for you. If you're the only one that ever would have received him, he died personally for you. And to have that communion with him. Allowing the Holy Spirit to examine your life for sin, but then also just time and worship, thanking the Lord for all that he's done. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for this special time. We remember the great salvation that's been provided. Lord, I pray that you would meet with us, that you would lift hearts, strengthen, heal where you need to heal, and Lord, save where you need to save. Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you as Savior, and you're showing them that today, that right where they sit in the quietness of their heart, they might respond to you, admitting their sinful condition, their lost condition outside of you, and receive you as their own Lord and Savior. Lord, give them the faith to believe even now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.